Hey folks, SH1T coming to you live. A couple of housekeeping notes. Just want to say thank you for everybody that's been listening since December. The numbers have gone way up. Um, even though I tell you guys not to listen, you don't listen to me. So, smart on you. Uh, I'm a dumb dumb. Uh, this podcast is going to be a little bit wonky because it's the week or the penultimate week before the COVID anniversary. So I'll go back to the normal format to celebrate the uh, full year of COVID turn. But this one, you know, just a bunch of recordings or nonsense. Uh, I do sports recordings and what I think is funny and then Supreme Court cases uh, and they're going to be jumbled about at the very end. You know, whatever. So enjoy it. Uh, blah, 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 blah. So to start you off, and this is probably the only forewarning you're going to get, the one of the best impersonations I've heard in quite some time. Uh, SNL should have picked this up a long time ago, but it is what it is. Uh, enjoy. Oh, there we are. <laughs> There's Gina Grad and Ball Brian and uh, hey. Kyle. Joey B, man. Joey B, baby. Chirac O'Biden. Mm. Oh, Biden. A President Biden. Uh, yeah. How Joey are you? Joey right, man. Hey. Yeah. Hey, uh, what'd you do? Did you bomb Libya earlier this week? Uh, look, 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 look. He doesn't know. Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago, man. You go way back. Can't be expect me to remember all that. I'm <laughs> sorry. Well, I give you a congratulations, Adam. Adam Crow on the three billion episode. Not, 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 not three billion. But four, two, but your episodes, man. It's a big deal. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. All those people out there, all those people in, in the audience there in uh, Tampa, Florida. You know, no, no, we're in, uh, uh, sure we're in Oklahoma City. Keep the keep your separate when you go to Orlando for the game. No, we're not. President Biden, we're yeah. in Oklahoma City. Uh, yes, that's what I said, man. We're Oklahoma, man. <laughs> Same diff. Let's go. Go on, do the jokes, man. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Listen, uh, I know there's some uh, controversy with Hunter Biden, your your son, and the laptop, and I, I don't know if that's uh, I don't know if that's something you're willing to talk about or. Look, I'll talk. Look, I'll talk about anything. Okay, well, it's what... an open book here, man. I was back in. We went behind the bleachers there. There's a guy for the sniffing tongue. Twenty-five dollars. <laughs> It was a dude, man. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Get it right. Get yeah. it right, pal. <laughs> You're a bad dude, man. Like Corn Pop. Yeah, Corn it's Pop. Like corn Pop, yeah. yeah. I like that song you played there by the John, uh, John, uh, uh, John Popcorn. The, 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 the heart, not the, not the popcorn, the yeah. harmonica man. Yeah. Yeah, Blue China Strap. guy. Yeah, yeah, you like that song. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, can we ask you, uh, when are we going to reopen the schools? Because uh, that's been, uh, I'm in California. The schools have been closed for about a year now. I know the CDC was talking about uh, opening the classrooms. The teachers unions are talking about getting vaccinated. Do you have a, a stance or policy on that, Mr. President? Look, look. First, we got what we got to do is uh, figure out what your question was. <laughs> second, second, we got to do is we open the schools a little bit at a time. Right? First, you open the front door. That's where, that's where the kids get in, not, not the, the, the the teachers, man. Then you uh, go down the hallway, open the hallways next. It's May, May, May or June, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Then, then you start to open the classes, man. It's like the it's like the, the locker room, man. You gotta you can't bend over. That was Brendan, man. But pre- President Biden, if I may, um, yeah. in this country, we take pretty much end of May to end of August off. Yes. So by the time the door opens, school will be in summer. We'll be out. Well, look, look, look. I'm not. I'm not, a, I'm not some wizard here. Who's gonna tell you, you know, which which ways what? You, you gotta make sure you, you got a plan. And you, you, you take that plan and you, you split in two, like, like a sandwich. You, 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 the first half, for, don't give it, don't give it all away. Come on, man. <laughs> I I gotta tell you, I was out to dinner last night with John Popper, the harmonica man from Blues Traveler, 
and he was talking about your advice uh, with, he's worried about you and the gun legislation. He's, he's worried that you're gonna get rid of these rifles, these long rifles and some of these larger magazines. And he said, you gave advice, which was pump the shotgun and fire it through the door. He, uh, he didn't respect that, Mr. President. He felt yeah. like that wasn't a safe process. Well, yeah, you gotta pump it, man, in the pump. <laughs> Look, look, you got, you got some of these guns, you put, there, you put the bullets in there, you squish, squish them up. They get stuck, man. You got to pump the thing. That's how you get through the doors. You don't need no semi-automatics. Semi you don't need, you don't need any, you know the thing, the guy with the, the thing. <laughs> Come on, man. You seem nervous. Yeah, the guy with the thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, he's I, got it. <laughs> Listen to John Popcorn. You know what he's talking about. What's that guy I know? He's up, up there, up there, say, whistling through that little uh, trumpet he's got there. Come on. <laughs> you just listen to him, you're going to miss him to the president erect. No, I got he, a big yeah. erection coming up. <laughs> I got a big erection coming up, man. It's that Donald, Donald Duck. He plays the, he plays the harmonica. It's a harmonica he plays. Yeah, it's an it's a evil trumpet, man. It's too small. <laughs> We can't get through that. It's not a real instrument. Kid, a five-year-old can play that thing. Hey, uh, Mr. President, again, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I heard a news story in during the week that they were looking... Not a nude story. It's put some clothes on. <laughs> no, it's sorry. Sorry, a news... News stories. Now, the acoustics the in here. Out there. No, it's a news story... That some of your fellow Democrats wanted to take away the new codes from you. They don't want you to be solely in charge. Did you guys hear about this story? Once they hear this podcast, they might be on board. <laughs> oh, this is oh, a real man. story. There is no, a bunch. There is a bunch of Democrats that are saying, eh, maybe we should spread the wealth a little as far as the nuclear football." Goes, you, did, we, yeah. did you hear about that football? Yeah, that nuclear football? I like the idea. It's democratic. You guys should give everybody the new codes. You know? <laughs> Spread them around, man. Shouldn't be one guy. Uh, but but one you're guy the guys. one guy. We elected you to do it. Huh? We, we have, have what? We want you to do it. Hey, speak up, man. <laughs> Sound like a muffled mouse over there. I'm, look, I'm look, saying look, if the if the look. if China launches or North Korea launches or, or Russia launches on us, we want you can, in charge of the nuclear football. They want. We're gonna keep our eye on it. See for uh, fake news. How's uh, uh how's uh, Kamala doing? Look, Kamala, Kamala, Kamala Harelips <laughs> is, is, is doing a great job. See, she got all, all her. Uh, all, all, all those roles are filled, man. You got you got uh, Danny Zuko, you got Rizzo, all of them, man. They're filled. Come on, Chris. Can you find Biden talking about Javier Becerra? Was it Becerra? What was the what was the name he butchered? That's going to be funny. Is it Becerra? The name? Yeah, oh, like, this is, take your pick. The Javier Becerra's man. What was it? Melanica Spiscaris. <laughs> no, I don't. You know the guy, the guy with the thing. I think it was Javier Becerris. Uh, Xavier. Xavier Becerria. Oh, uh, Xavier Becerra. Yes. Yeah, Xavier Becerra. We'll see if we can find that clip, and then we'll see if. Uh, give we'll, him the nuclear codes. We'll give Joe. Joe. Uh, Mr. Mr. President, we'll give you a mulligan on the Xavier yeah, Becerra. the president yet, man. I got a big erection coming up. You got to give me your vote. We got some bad news for you, Mr. President. Huh? Mr. President, yeah. you are the president. Is that in my head, that voice? Or did someone say that? No, that's a uh, real person. What's up, people from Miami, Florida laughing at? You all there out in the beach? It's uh, Oklahoma City. Do you have you know, that? waves and your, yeah, your we'll surfboards? Come on, man. There's sharks out there. <laughs> how's, uh, how's your wife, Dr. Jill, doing? Yeah, she's, she's, yeah, she's a saint, really. She saved, saved my life on a number of occasions. She mm -hmm. got a, a lot of love for Jill. I 
one affair. Whole time. Uh. One time. I banged a Swedish girl. Okay, <laughs> in the parking lot, man. You didn't tell nobody. That's a good woman. Uh, got a hair lip, a lot like Kamala's. Um, and I know you got a couple of rescue dogs in there, right? A couple of German Shepherds. Yeah, we got Petey. We got uh, Samuel. We got Rachel. We got Ross. We got Matt, Matt LeBlanc. Bunch of a man. I, I the, can't remember all their no, names. No, I think that's the cast of Friends you're, you're talking about now. Yeah, man. Ten seasons, brother. A lot of good episodes. What do you... Come on, man. You're a bad dude. Get to the comedy. <laughs> I wish I could. I really do. There's some of your jokes, man. <laughs> Retarded's all right. It's just it's tarted again. That's all you're saying. <laughs> Retarded. Come on, man. Shape up. Pull the, the it's 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 a weird word. <clears throat> it gets it 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 gets worse as it gets shorter. Retarded is better than retard, and then tard is worse than retard. Don't ever say it, What man. other gets fuck? What word gets worse as it gets shorter? Oh, we have it's the clip. Such a fragile sexualidocious, man. <laughs> Do we have the uh, Xavier Becerra? Sorry. Here we go. For Secretary of Health and Education, sir, I nominate Javier Bacaria. <laughs> you know, Javier Bashir, excuse me. He, he, I'm sorry, what did was... he correct it to Bashir? Bashir. I don't know. Joe, you want to you wanna mulligan on that one? Yeah, look, look, right, look, 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 look. I, I just want to, uh, all I was saying was I was uh, nominating, nom, nominating Harbier Bacaricki, Bacarac, man, good dude. <laughs> not not Bacarac, this is Shakira, 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 shake that thing. You heard chips don't lie, man, come on. No lie. So who you who you nominating again? Sorry, <laughs> Abigura, man. You heard me the first time. Zip up your lips, no beers, man. Look, look. Yeah, I, I gave you cure the nuclear codes. <laughs> look, the, the, the middle guy's a dude, man. First of all, <laughs> oh, that's, that's a dude. No, man. that's no that. No, Mr. President, that's Rose oh. McGowan. Come on, man. I don't like that. <clears throat> Melissa Rolano, I don't like. Is it? She was on that. Who's Who's the boss? There, and we, we never found out who the boss was. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to go with uh, Nancy Pelosio as my answer. <laughs> no, so it's it's Nancy Rose Pelucchio. McGowan, Alyssa Milano, <laughs> or Madonna. Uh, all right, la, la, Lance, uh, Madonna, uh, Alyssa Madonna, man. Final answer. <laughs> Those are different people. You got to pick just the one. Uh, I picked the dude. Okay, I'm gonna go. That's Rose McGowan. We'll go with Rose McGowan. All right. Spitzity Sports. Look at my shorts. Uh, do a couple of highlights uh, in the NBA. They had an All-Star game. Congratulations to them. Team LeBron beat Team Durant, 170 to 150. Sure, defense was a, a big staple in that game. Uh, did not watch it, do not care. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, pronounced perfectly, obviously, uh, took the MVP in that game. Uh, Blake Griffin headed to the Nets. Uh, that's a monster team that they have in Brooklyn with Harden, uh, Griffin now, uh, and then the other two guys. I think it's uh, Westbrook, and then I forget the the other guy. But the, there's uh, there's only one. Uh, oh, well, I mean. Star-studded NBA analysis you're getting from the SH1T podcast, but there's only one basketball, and they didn't figure that in Oklahoma. Figure that out in Oklahoma between Westbrook and Harden. Now they got two more superstars. I think it's Kyrie Irving. Uh, they have uh, two more superstars on that team. Now they have four. So it's Griffin, Irving, uh, Westbrook, and Harden, and one basketball. So if they start playing with two, they probably got a chance. Other than that, I wouldn't think so. Uh, Steph Curry won the three-point contest uh, in golf. Phil Mickelson is out of the top 100, as is Tiger Woods, for obvious reasons. Uh, and then let's go with uh, – that's about it for the 
for the highlights. Uh, in the NBA, let's go standings after the, uh, excuse me, after the All-Star game. The West Indies East are halfway through the game. 76ers have a half-game lead over the Nets. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, uh, the Bucks, Celtics, Na- Knicks, Heat, Bobcats, and Raptors round out the top eight. Raptors tied with Chicago uh, at seven, and all the way up down at the bottom, where Griffin left, was the Detroit Pistons at 10 and 26. In the Western Conference, the Jazz hold a two-and-a-half game advantage over the Phoenix Suns, uh, Lakers, Clippers, Trailblazers, Nuggets, San Antonio, and Dallas round out the top eight. San Antonio at 18 and 14, uh, a game out of, or game over the eighth seed, and a game and a half uh, protected from the uh, playoffs. Golden State on the outside looking in, half game back at Dallas, and Minnesota Timberwolves at 7 and 29, way at the bottom. Uh, Houston, the other Texas team at 11 and 23, uh, they are second to last in the Western Conference. That is your NBA standings. Uh, UFC 259, uh, the only two, apparently it was a great card. The only two uh, fights I will reference in this one was Blagojevich versus Adesanya. Um, Adesanya stepped up in weight, was not successful in taking down uh, Blagojevich. Blagojevich wins a uh, unanimous decision against him. And the other, there was another title fight that ended in disqualification. Apparently the champion uh, hit Sterling with a knee while he was down. I don't know why these knees are illegal. Probably because they're dangerous, but, uh, I mean, you would expect somebody to do that in an actual fight. But, um, so Sterling wins the title in that transfer. He was pretty upset about it um, because it was, you know, that's not how you want to win, excuse me, by disqualification. And, uh, well, that's what happened. So I'm sure they will fight again. Uh, I forget the guy's uh, name where he took the title from. It's like Bako or Bakovic was who lost the title with that illegal knee. And, uh, yeah is what it is and the we'll go with ncaa men's basketball we are at bracketology time and they're having some weird scheduling or weird rules with the schedule um basically when they set the schedule um, before the tournament starts if a team gets coveted out they can trade the team in the in the seed the exact same seed that they're going but i don't know if they just shipped everybody up or they just like, for instance, if you have four teams in your uh, conference that go, and team number one had a two seed is out, and now your team five gets to fill that two seed when the bracket is locked in. I think that's how it goes. If they COVID out, COVID out before the tournament selection, um, then uh, they would be just put in, the, put in the seed or the field. Or maybe it's the first four out uh, teams are selected when they uh, after they draft the bracket. So if somebody falls out, one of the first four out teams – will get into the system and be placed exactly in the position where the uh, COVID team out uh, is going. So uh, that's standings. Let's go down to Texas A&M, see how they did throughout the year. I'm going to say that it's not good. Uh, Big Ten apparently is crushing it with nine teams uh, getting in there. Uh, Texas A&M, two and eight, finishing in the conference. Uh, they were eight and nine for the year, and they lost their last two. So I don't think they're going to be in the NIT or – the uh, the actual uh, game. Apparently, Texas A&M women's team, yay, um, is number one in the nation, or they're going to be the number one overall seed in the women's bracket. So good luck for them. They won the national title, I think, back in 2014. Uh, so gig them on that one. Uh, we already talked about MMA. Uh, NCAA football is out and about. Let's go with NHL. I don't think the Stars are doing too well. BT dubs, but we will see. Let's go to the standings. But baseball has not started up yet, but it's but it's moving. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning uh, have 36 points. They are 17, 4, and 2. They hold the advantage in the central. Uh, Dallas at the bottom. Uh, they've only played 20 games versus all of them, but they only have 19 points. Don't look they would doesn't look like they'd be getting in. They're 7, 8, and 5. So Dallas is probably gonna miss the uh, postseason. Uh, Carolina, Florida, rounding out the top three in the Central. In the East, the Islanders hold the advantage. Uh, they have a 34 points, a two-point lead over the Washington Capitals. Uh, Islanders are 15, 6, and 4. Washington, Boston, round out the top three in the East. In the North, uh, Toronto has it. 
a huge advantage, seven points at 18-6-2 and two, uh, over Winnipeg and Edmonton. And then in the West, it's Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado. Vegas with a two-point lead over the Blues. 16-4-1 uh, and one is their record, crushing it. Uh, do, 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 do. Let's go with, looks like Montreal would be in and Minnesota would be in in the north and the west uh, for the playoffs. And then it looks like uh, Chicago and Pittsburgh would be in as the wild cards. Uh, so there you go. There's your NHL standings. Don't know how much longer they have. I think it's probably a half season. So maybe 15 more games to play-ish uh, for them. There you go. Uh, no baseball yet. Uh, golf Tiger Woods fucking decided to drive off of a road. So as I alluded to earlier, he will be out for quite some time. And that is going to be about it for your Spore Report. Hope you enjoyed it. On to the next segment of Le Podcast. Sign this petition and save the trees. Who cares? Hey, mister, sign this petition to save the world from nuclear holocaust. Who cares? Hey, mister, they're going to raise our beer tax two cents. Oh, my God. This has to be stopped. Wait, would you like to watch our movie, The Story of Beer? like you, election day is very important. So I'm hoping you'll put up some of these campaign signs outside your home. Wait a minute, Mrs. Darcy. Support toxic waste dumps? <laughs> you never vote for this. Of course not. I've given you posters of the issues that I oppose. Because if people think the Bundys are for them, we know the whole neighborhood will vote the other way. <laughs> Peggy, you really should vote. This is the year of the woman. Everyone I know is going to vote for a woman, regardless of her qualifications or her stance on the issues. Hi, Peggy. But Kelly Simpson. But Kids, take those bananas upstairs with the tangerines Daddy bought the last time he got whacked. God, I hate to see him like this. I know. I don't like to see him happy either. Well, Al, it's nice to see you care about something besides wondering whose back is hairier. Yours or your dog's? Or whose chest is hairier, mine or yours? <laughs> Come on, Marcy, you above all people should be concerned about this tax. I mean, after looking at yourself in the mirror all day, you must drink. <laughs> now, kids, the USA has been run too long by people who know the issues. People that watch the news on TV, read books, generally pay attention. Well, no more. Because now it's time that we had a say in the future of America. Family, the Bundys are going to elect a president. The polls have been open across the nation for six hours, but it's now official that not a single person in America has yet turned out to vote. If any people show up to vote today, the future of this country is in their hands. Voters coming through, make way, make way. Voters coming through. Yes, in a dry cleaner like this, they elected Washington and Lincoln. And at a round table where this volunteer sits, they signed the Declaration of Independence. From the looks of her, she was probably there to see it. I'm Bundy, Al Bundy, and I'm here to serve my country. Not there, Mr. Bundy. That's the bathroom. That's all right, ma'am. That's where he makes all his big decisions. And I would strongly advise you to learn the lesson that my Uncle Harold learned the hard way. If you're wearing a pacemaker, do not follow him into the bathroom. And now for the election news. There's good news for those who think Americans no longer care about the electoral process. In the largest turnout in the last three national elections, a full one-half of one percent of all registered voters actually did vote. The beer tax passed, 25,000 to 10,000. And the closest race, the so-called Save the Earth Clean Air Amendment, passed by a vote of five to four. Well, at least we tried. And failed as usual. Kids, right? Give up. We did. No, we can't quit. Do you say we should try again next year? No. Tell you the truth, I'm never voting again. <laughs> like marriage, no matter. Or who you choose, it turns out bad. Well, kids, right? Give up. We did. No, we can't quit. Do you say we should try again next year? No. Tell you the truth, I'm never voting again. <laughs> Like marriage, no matter who you choose, it turns out bad. <laughs> hey, sure, what do they care if a man who sells shoes or fixes cars or totes that bars or spears that duty in the park has to use his whole paycheck to buy one beer? We're never going to win through the system. Voting has never been the American way. We didn't get away from that pansy country England by voting. The only thing that Americans understand is mindless Tom and Jerry cartoon-like violence. So let's go kick some elite butt. Give me beer or give me death. <laughs> Or both. 
let's pillage. An angry mob led by a balding madman screaming, I sell shoes, damn it, and I'm stinking drunk, has run amok. The 2% beer tax that was overwhelmingly voted in is being reconsidered in a special midnight session of a cowering city council. <laughs> I feel more like an American now than ever before. By the way, does anyone know who was elected president? Yeah, what's the difference? But whoever you are, read my lips. Don't tax beer. All right, this is for the Supreme Court cases coming out of the break that first week, so all their decisions and opinions that I thought were interesting and just my, the layman's uh, interpretation of what had occurred uh, in the Supreme Court. Um, so the Supreme Court ruled, and this is the first one of the four or five uh, that I saw, that the execution of Alabama man must remain on hold unless the state allows the man, Willie Smith III, to have his pastor by his side in the execution chamber. Uh, they rejected a request to undo a ruling by the U.S. Uh, Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit who had blocked the state from executing uh, Smith. See, I, I, and when I thought that, that the execution was getting away, but no, they just, they, I guess they threw away all of his other challenges, but then said at the very end, well, you must put the uh, pastor in with him in the execution chamber, or he has to have his pastor present during his execution um, in order for the execution to proceed. Um, he was basically, Mr. Smith was basically throwing spaghetti on the wall to see what stuck at the very last second. Uh, the prosecution one, or the state, was claiming that he just waited to the last second to throw in challenges. They dismissed all of those, but kept the uh, chamber thing going on. Uh, they, The court has been pretty, I would say, 90-10 on religious exemptions uh, for, and, and most of this was the COVID challenges in California, Colorado, and New York. Uh, so they've been somewhat supportive of that, but, you know, late to the game when it comes to those sort of things. Uh, they threw out the election cases again, so they saw none of the election stuff was argued or, or done, whatever. So I think one of the best uh, one of the best summaries or statements that I had heard is that they, did, they declined to take the cases up because they didn't want, you know, the— the fruit had not been born, right? The action or something had not occurred. I'd seen this before. So they declined to take the cases up because they want to see what happens. And then when the event did occur, the 2020 election, they said that, oh, you know, it's moot because it already happened. So it was a damned if you do, damned if you don't uh, uh, issue. Uh, Thomas and Alito dissented, obviously, uh, from this one. And then I guess there wasn't anybody else uh, that did it. Uh, Thomas dissented from the decision uh, in the, what is it, Republican Party of Pennsylvania, and then the Dick versus DeGraff and Reed, and Gorman versus Pennsylvania Democratic Party. The cases are consolidated. Uh, Thomas dissented from that decision, and he wrote a real good opinion, an 11-page opinion in which he acknowledged that the extension of the deadline seemed to have affected too few ballots to change the outcome of any federal election. However, Thomas continued that it may not be the case in the future. Uh, because in this view, the cases were an ideal opportunity to address uh, just what authority non-legislative officials have to set election rules and to do so well before the next election cycle. Makes total sense. Uh, he deemed the court's refusal to do so inexplicable. Uh, inexplicable. I agree. Uh, Leto dissented in an opinion joined by Gorsuch. So, okay, so three did. So that where the fuck is Kavanaugh and Barrett? Uh, he emphasized, because you want to at least hear the goddamn case. Um, uh, like Thomas, he emphasized that a ruling... Uh, like the in the Pennsylvania cases, would not affect the outcome of the 2020 election, but would provide invaluable guidance for future elections. That's true. Uh, uh, but what was their guidance, right? Their guidance is to stay out of it, let the states decide. So maybe they did already um, submit that guidance in 2006, and the states are just saying, you know what, fuck it. We don't even care about the integrity of our elections. We'll just uh, we'll just throw it out there. Uh, Alito said and also pushed back against the suggestion that review was not warranted because the cases are no longer a live controversy. While similar disputes are not likely to arise in the future, he noted, among other things, that the primary election for Pennsylvania's congressional candidates would take place in 15 months and observed that although we may hope by the next spring the pandemic will no longer affect daily life, that is uncertain. So they basically passed the buck. Um, Georgia passed voter registration laws. I think their Capitol building got stormed. Didn't say anything about that one. There you go. Um, and then the H.R. 1 was passed in the Congress as basically federalization of all elections and then getting rid of all these uh, voter IDs. Uh, laws that are deemed or people claim that they are you know, burdensome for minorities, um, 
Well, if that's the case, then why do we need fire gun licenses uh, or why do we need registrations for vehicles or proof of insurance or any type of ID to prove anything uh, while you're doing that? So H.R. 1 passed the House. Hopefully it doesn't even get brought up in the Senate, but you never know with these kind of fucktards. But H.R. 1, uh, insane. Uh, Florida versus Georgia. These are actual cases that were heard. This was essentially a... uh, Uh, water dispute between Florida and Georgia. I think I sided with Georgia on this one. Um, Florida was complaining about Georgia not letting, you know, too much water through or too little water through and that their oysters weren't being happy and that they were dying. Um, I didn't think so. So it didn't seem like the juice is worth the squeeze for Georgia to open up their dams and they lose all their shit while Florida gets to eat a few more oysters. Uh, Lang versus California, uh, when police are pursuing someone from a misdemeanor, uh, that is always an exigent circumstance that will allow the officer to follow the suspect into a house. I said no on this one. Um, it's a misdemeanor, right? So there are many reasons why somebody would not pull over for a misdemeanor stop in the middle of the night. Uh, maybe it's, you know, uh, somebody that's vertible, alone, doesn't really have a good relationship with the police. They want to drive home. And if it's just a misdemeanor, like they didn't t- use their turn blinker or whatever, does the police officer have a, uh, uh, what is it? Does the police officer have a, uh, a right to go into their house without a warrant? No, just fucking stop and get the warrant. Um, if it's a felony, totally different story. Um, that's where I drew the line on that one, and that's what I would do. If it's misdemeanor, um, no. If it's felony, yes. Uh, and then they were they were bringing up hot pursuit. So not every uh, not not every time you go code three and flash your lights is it hot pursuit, especially if somebody rolls through a stop sign or doesn't turn their blinker. I think cops should get out of the. Uh, uh, and that's, that's also another uh, debatable thing. Cops could get out of the uh, uh, traffic enforcement business, and you should just have tra- traffic enforcement cops uh, take the license plate down, send them a fucking uh, send them a notice, and if they don't appear, then issue a warrant uh, for their arrest or, or, you know, or whatever. But uh, it seems that a lot of uh, instances or issues are caught, and then that's the whole battle between broken windows policing and uh, not— it does those traffic violations or minor traffic violations do those fall within the broken windows policing uh paradigm or thought process i would say no so i think uh i think cops need to get out of the traffic enforcement game uh, and we need to figure that shit out um wilkinson versus die and wilkinson versus alcarez enriquez uh the permissibility of the u.s court of appeals in the ninth circuit to approach Circumstances when immigration courts fail to make explicit credibility determination on Ninth Circuit retreats asylum seekers' testimony is credible? No. Uh, so in this case, they were basically the Ninth Circuit, despite all evidence, only looked at the immigrants' um, testimony when it came to the case, and they used that immigrants' testimony to uh, verify whether the individual would stay or, or get out of the country and whether his asylum was credible or not. So they didn't look at any other evidence, just the testimony of the uh, immigrant. And then, so that's obviously stacking the deck in immigrants' favor so that they could just come, claim asylum, say that they're being persecuted by X, Y, and Z, and that that's all you can look at. Uh, yeah, no thank you. So totality of circumstances uh, in that case uh, for that one. Um, a couple decisions for the first week, the Federal Republic of Germany and then the Republic of Hungary. Uh, I agree with both of these decisions that we should not step into uh, foreign courts and foreign decisions, at least from the United, the Supreme Court of the United States uh, perspective. That's more of a, a Department of State or Congress issue or a president issue, not a courts issue. Uh, Supreme Court is the law of the land in the United States, nowhere else. Uh, so... Uh, they, I agree with both those decisions. And then I agreed, in, uh, to my surprise, uh, Salinas versus Railroad uh, Retirement Board. I sided with the liberal justices uh, in this one. In a 5-4 ruling, uh, U.S. Railroad Retirement Board's refusal to reopen a former railroad worker's prior benefits determination is subject to judicial review. Uh, I would say that everything is subject to judicial review within reason. Uh, you should always have that. And if you come to the court's incorrectly they can dismiss the case so come to the courts correctly so exhaust administratively uh, and then if you if you fail or you feel like you need to go through the courts then you have the right to go through the courts and then they can uh, take a take a review and then uh, uh, within the context of the of the case brought to the administrative board and then another one was Brownback versus King um, the district court's order was a judgment on the merits of the claims and can trigger the judgments bar so this guy was trying to do exactly that, right? So he went through the administrative process and then uh, was trying to relitigate in the courts without reference to the administrative process. Um, so 
basically the courts said, no, you can't do that. Um, my thoughts were a final judgment in favor of the United States and an action brought under Section 134 on the ground that private person will not be liable to the claimant under the state or tort for the injuries alleged, bars the claim that is brought by the same claimant based on the same injuries and against the same governmental employees whose acts gave rise to the claimant's uh, claim. But I think that... Uh, uh, I think that you should not be able to sue individual government employees. I think you should sue the agency, and then the agency needs to take care of the individual government employees, the administrative or criminal action. So, um, because that absolves the government of financial responsibilities for their training and their responsibility of their officers. So, um, yeah, that's just how I think about it. Uh, and then it was Tanzir, so. On the, or Tanzer was what I was referencing. So that's why I, I ruled that way, but it was in line with what the uh, ruled. <laughs> well, that was why it was, was in line with uh, what the Supreme Court did. So that is the first week. I will do, be doing the second week of Supreme Courts right after this interlude. Oh, I want to tell you about a book today. The, the book is called The Gulag. So I want to tell you about a book today. The book is called The Gulag Archipelago. You ready? The book is called The Gulag Archipelago, and it's by a Russian author, a Soviet author named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was in the Gulag Archipelago concentration camp system for a very long time. He had a very hard life. He was on the Russian front when the Germans invaded the Soviet Union in the early stages of World War II. Now, Hitler and Stalin had signed a non-aggression pact. Um, and Hitler invaded the Soviet Union anyway. And from what I've been able to understand, the Soviets had prepared an invasion force for Europe at that point, but were not concerned with having to defend their territory, and so they were caught completely unawares by Hitler's move. And the conditions on the Russian front were absolutely dreadful, and Solzhenitsyn was a soldier on the Russian front. And he wrote some letters to one of his friends, which were intercepted, complaining about the lack of preparation and, and using bitter, dark humor to described the situation and the consequences of that was that he was thrown into a work camp. The Soviet system relied on work camps and so those were large labor camps of people who were essentially enslaved, many of whom were worked to death, often froze to death, working in conditions that were so dreadful that they're virtually unimaginable. Solzhenitsyn spent a very large number of years in these camps uh, sometimes in a more privileged camp because he was an educated man and sometimes in worse camps. He also uh, developed cancer um, later and wrote a book about that called Cancer Ward, which is a brilliant book. Um, so he had a very hard life. There's, there's just no way around that, to be on the front and then to be in a concentration camp and then to have cancer. That's that's pretty rough. Now, he wrote the Gulag Archipelago. He wrote a book called One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich first. That was published in the early 1960s. When there was a brief thaw, Stalin was pretty much out of the picture by the end of the 1950s. There's some indication that he was murdered by Khrushchev, and uh, uh, Khrushchev became uh, premier of, of the Soviet Union after S Stalin. And there's some indication, perhaps, that Stalin was either murdered by Khrushchev and a set of his cronies, or when he was very ill, just before he died, was not helped, at least, by, wasn't provided with any medical attention because of the intervention of Khrushchev and his cronies. Now, there's some indication as well at that point that Stalin, who was an absolute, absolutely barbaric in every possible way you could imagine, was planning to start a third world war. And he was certainly capable of doing such things because he had already imprisoned or killed tens of millions of people. Now, just after Stalin died, there was a bit of a thaw in the Soviet Union with regards to internal repression. 
in the early 1960s, Solzhenitsyn published a book called One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, which was a story about one day in the life, his life really, inside one of these so-called Gulag archipelago camps. Now he called it the Gulag archipelago because an archipelago is a chain of islands. And so Solzhenitsyn likened the work camp system in the Soviet Union, which was made up of isolated camps distributed across the in entire state. He likened that to a series of islands and, and hence, hence the metaphor. And one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich was one of the first publications released in the Soviet Union that dared make public what had happened inside these camps, at least initially. Now, that thought didn't last very long, but that book had a tremendous effect. It's a short book, it's worth reading. Um, after that, he spent, he wrote a number of other books, which are also, he, he's a great literary figure in the same category, I would say, as Tolstoy or Dostoevsky, which is like really saying something. You know, those, those two are perhaps the greatest literary figures who ever lived, with the possible exception of Shakespeare. Um, he wrote, this book called The Gulag Archipelago, which is published in three volumes, each of which is about 700 pages long. Um, the first one details the origin of the oppressive Soviet system, at least in part under Lenin, and then its full-fledged implementation under Stalin and the deaths of, well, Solzhenitsyn estimated the deaths in, in, in internal repression in the Soviet Union at something approximating 60 million between 1919 and 1959. Now, that doesn't count the death toll in the Second World War, by the way. Now, people have disputed those figures, but they're certainly in the tens of millions, and the low-end bounds are probably 20 million, and the high-end bounds are nearer what Sol Solzhenitsyn estimated. He also estimated that the same kind of internal repression in Maoist China cost 100 million lives, and so you can imagine that the genuine historical figures, again, are subject to dispute, but somewhere between 50 and 100 million people. And one of the things that's really surprising to me and that, that I think is absolutely reprehensible, absolutely reprehensible, is the fact that this is not widespread knowledge among students in the West, any of this. And it's because your education, your historical education, if you started to describe it as appalling, you would barely scratch the surface. These were the most important events of the 20th century, and they're barely covered at all in standard historical curriculum. You know of something, I would presume, about World War II and about the terrible situation in Nazi Germany and the death of six million gypsies and Jews and homosexuals in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. But my experience with students has been that none of them know anything about what happened as a consequence of the repression of the radical left in the 20th century. And I believe the reason for that is that the communist system had extensive networks of admirers in the West, especially among intellectuals, and, and still, in fact, does, which is also equally reprehensible. Um, and I believe the, that one of the consequences of that is that this element of history has been under, uh, under what would you say, under-examined, and certainly very little attention has been brought to it in the public school curricula. And there's absolutely no excuse for that. It was the worst thing that happened in the 20th century. And that's really saying something, because the 20th century was about as bad as it gets. And so, and the fact that these, these massive, these deaths on massive scale occurred, and the fact that we don't know that deep inside our bones is, is, is a testament to the absolute rot of the education system. All right, round two. This is last week's uh, Supreme Court cases, uh, decisions. I would have thought in this one that I would have cited the other way, but uh, and I did on when I came back to it because I couldn't find what I'd previously wrote down. Uh, but then I found what I had done, and apparently the arguments were in a in a different way, where it convinced me to do something else. But this is a FOIA Act request against the EPA or the uh, what is it, Fish and Wildlife Services. So this is essentially what it boiled down to. And the question was whether exemption of whether exemption five of FOIA. Uh, by incorporating deliberative process, privileges protects against compelled disclosure of a federal agency's draft documents that were prepared as part of a formal interagency consultation process under Section 7 of the Endangered Species Act, and that it concerned, and that concerned a proposed agency action was later modified in the consultation process. And then, so I said, no, it's not FOIA. Drafts are not deliberative. Uh, they are an intermediate process of the decision. Uh, the deliberations themselves are the deliberative process. Oh, okay. So I would say that the drafts are not, but their communications about the drafts are. Um, notes, emails, etc. from during deliberations would not be subject to FOIA due to Exemption 5. Drafts received by a consultation agency 
uh, would not be. So if you're a contracted agency, you're basically fully protected until you issue a final um, thing to the government. Um, drafts received or transmitted uh, would be to the government would be part of FOIA. So I decided with them 8-2, um, basically saying that drafts are protected under FOIA. But I, I would have thought that I would have ruled the other, or I, would, I thought that I would have thought the other way, because I'm not about uh, government protection, but I guess I'm a retard. So, um, yeah, I think what I'm trying to say is, is that deliberations, um, so the final drafts and deliberations about uh, the process are FOIA available, but not the drafts themselves of the document. Cool. Uh, immigration case, Parita versus Wilkinson, uh, was decided. A non-citizen may not apply for relief from deportation, including asylum and cancellation of removal, if he has been convicted of a disqualifying offense listed in the INA. Uh, the categorical approach, including modified variant, governs the analysis of potentially disqualifying convictions. Under that approach, the conviction for a state offense does not carry immigration consequences unless it necessarily establishes all elements of the potentially corresponding federal offenses. Uh, accordingly, four courts of appeals hold that state conviction does not bar relief from removal. Uh, if the state court record is merely ambiguous as to whether the conviction involved... Yeah, this was the one where you're... Um, uh, states don't have to go hunt. So if immigrant Y is convicted of an offense that we're moving from the country, you don't have to prove the elements. You just have to know that they were convicted, get them the fuck out. Uh, in their view, ambiguity means the conviction does not necessarily establish the elements of the federal offense. That's bullshit. Uh, four other courts of appeals, including the Eighth Circuit below, take the opposite view. They hold that merely ambiguous conviction is nonetheless disqualifying because the immigration laws in place have every nature burden of proof on non-citizens to establish eligibility for relief. So they don't even go to the they don't even go to the logical like hey, if they get convicted of a, an offense that gets them out in a state court, then uh, they just apply it to the federal system and get them out. They say that it's on the burden of proof is on the immigrant to show why they are a value to stay in the country. So they were like, that's why they should leave. So either or. Um, but I, I, I choose the former as opposed to the latter. Uh, the question was whether a criminal conviction bars non-citizens from applying for relief from removal when a record of conviction is merely ambiguous as to whether the corresponds to an offense listed in the Immigration and National or INA, Immigration and Nationality Act. I would say yes. Uh, ambiguous conviction is disqualifying the immigration and its laws placed the immigration laws place evidentiary burden of proof on non-citizens to establish eligibility for relief. They are not eligible for relief or cannot establish that they are. They need to be removed. And then I sided with the Supreme Court of this one, 6-3, uh, or sorry, it was a 5-3 decision. Uh, and their decision was a non-permanent resident seeking to cancel a lawful removal order fails to carry his burden. Ooh, sexist. Uh, of showing that he has not been convicted of disqualifying offenses when the statutory conviction of the record is ambiguous regarding whether the disqualifying offense is formed on the basis of the conviction. So, agree with agree with that statement. Uh, they heard the cases that were heard last week were United States versus Arthrex. Uh, so, yeah, I had no really opinion on this one. They were like this was. If I could say I don't know, then I would do that. Um, this was basically using the appointments clause to say that, uh, what is it, PTOs or uh, patent judges should be appointed by the president. So I think, uh, no, they are inferior officers. They're not directly, because they fall under the Secretary of Commerce, so the Secretary of Commerce gets to deal with them, and then he can just raise his hands when the uh, uh, patent judges say something. He can just say, oh, not my problem. So they were, they were basically arguing that since uh, patent judges are the final say on patents, they are superior officers because nobody can contradict what they say, but the Supreme Court can, so they're inferior to the Supreme Court. Um, and then if you if you thought this was an issue, you can go to Congress to say, hey, Secretary of Commerce has review or can appeal, like you know, can overrule or do whatever, and then, then he has that with the uh, with the president. But you could also make the same case like I just did, is that the patent judges can be reviewed by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is uh, appointed by the president, so that's how they're inferior officers. Um, and then whether the Court of Appeals erred by educating the Appointments Clause challenge. No, they did not, because uh, it was a case of controversy. And then whether the administrative patent judges are principal officers, the Court Appeals properly cured an Appointments Clause defect. Um, no, I would say that they're inferior officers for the reasons stated. Uh, the problem wasn't cured with the application of that. And then if you want to fix it, go to Congress. So those are my thoughts on it. Uh, this was the craziest one uh, uh, of the of the six that I'd heard. Brona... Br 
Brnovich versus DNC. Uh, so here's the case summary. Uh, Arizona, like every other state, has adopted rules to promote uh, the order and integrity of its elections. At issue here are two such provisions, an out-of-precinct policy which does not count provisional ballots cast in a person's uh, cast in person on election day outside of the voters designated precinct and ballot collection law known as uh, HB 2023 which permits only certain persons uh, family household members caregivers or mail carriers and election officials to handle other persons completed early ballot a majority of states require in precinct voting voting and about 20 states limit ballot collection after 10-day trial district court upheld Provisions against the claims under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act of the 15th Amendment. Ninth Circuit panel affirmed at the on-bank stage. However, the Ninth Circuit reversed against urging of the United States and over two vigorous dissents joined by four judges. The question number one, does Arizona's out-of-precinct policy violate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act? No, it does not. And then number two, does Arizona's ballot collection law violate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act or the 15th Amendment? No, it does not. Um, the most amazing argument that I had heard is the equity argument. So they, they actually proposed the equity argument in this uh, case was that if uh, as many of one per, one group of individuals does not vote as, as many as Y group of individuals, then your system is racist. That's essentially what they, uh, what they argued. So despite all other prevailing factors, if 10 individuals of group Y voted, then at least 10 individuals of group X must vote uh, or your system is racist boggles the mind um and then for for life me if they took this case up or they had this case why didn't they take kansas's voting id uh case up like it just seems to reason that voting id is a requirement to prove your citizenship to have the right to vote that's it uh they were talking about uh other things they were talking about was uh you know uh, literacy tests for voting they, they brought that up um they were just they were trying to equate voting in your district and voting on uh, and not you know harvesting ballots and voting in the district that you say that you're in is too cumbersome to vote and that's this is kind of what hr one is attacking right so this this 100 looks like it's going to be decided in arizona's favor um upholding uh har ballot harvesting as bad as it was on the jimmy carter commission uh and then in the, in the 70s and then uh out of precinct voting uh, on the day of election as bad, which makes total sense to me. Uh, and then the last one was Carr versus Saul. Uh, whether claimants seeking disability benefits under the Social Security Act must exhaust appointments clause challenges before the administrative law judge as a requisite to obtaining judicial review? No. Um, like I said, the uh, initial judge that takes the case after the administrative review, if you bring something up, they can decide at that stage whether or not uh, uh, it's a valid you know, request or challenge or should have been done. Apparently, the biggest complaint about this case was that how informal the uh, uh, Social Security uh, basically people are when they do their, they're supposed to be advocates for the claimants uh, and how informal the process is. And they were saying because of that informal process, um, there are still rules to that process. And if you don't follow the rules to that informal process, then you don't get another bite at the apple, quote unquote, uh, at the initial stage. But, you know, it, Follow the administrative procedure. If you don't like what happened, then you can take the initial to the courts, and then the district court can fucking figure it out. But they're going to be inundated. That's why they're there. Uh, that's it for the Supreme Court case, or Supreme Court cases for January and February. Hope you enjoyed. And the rest of the nonsense of the podcast. Recordings, could be the outro, could be everything. Who knows? Bye. Ryden, are you receiving? We're still here. How's that possible? The AI was destroyed! Only GWs. Who are you? To begin with, we're not what you'd call human. Over the past 200 years, a kind of consciousness formed layer by layer in the crucible of the White House. It's not unlike the way life started in the oceans four billion years ago. The White House was our primordial soup, a base of evolution. We are formless. We are the very discipline and morality that Americans invoke so often. How can anyone hope to eliminate us? As long as this nation exists, so will we. Cut the crap! If you're immortal, why would you take away individual freedoms and censor the net? <laughs> Jack, don't be silly. Don't you know that our plans have your interests, not ours, in mind? What? 
Jack, listen carefully, like a good boy. The mapping of the human genome was completed early this century. As a result, the evolutionary log of the human race lay open to us. We started with genetic engineering, and in the end, we succeeded in digitizing life itself. But there are things not covered by genetic information. What do you mean? Human memories, ideas, culture, history. Genes don't contain any record of human history. Is it something that should not be passed on? Should that information be left at the mercy of nature? We've always kept records of our lives, through words, pictures, symbols, from tablets to books. But not all the information was inherited by later generations. A small percentage of the whole was selected and processed, then passed on. Not unlike genes, really. That's what history is, Jack. But in the current digitized world, trivial information is accumulating every second, preserved in all its triteness, never fading, always accessible. Rumors about petty issues, misinterpretations, slander. All this junk data, preserved in an unfiltered state, growing at an alarming rate. It will only slow down social progress, reduce the rate of evolution. Right. You seem to think that our plan is one of censorship. Are you telling me it's not? You're being silly. What we propose to do is not to control content, but to create context. Create context? The digital society furthers human flaws and selectively rewards development of convenient half-truths. Just look at the strange juxtapositions of morality around you. Billions spent on new weapons in order to humanely murder other humans. Rights of criminals are given more respect than the privacy of their victims. Although there are people suffering in poverty, huge donations are made to protect endangered species. Everyone grows up being told the same thing. Be nice to other people. But beat out the competition. You're special. Believe in yourself and you will succeed. But it's obvious from the start that only a few can succeed. You exercise your right to freedom, and this is the result. All rhetoric to avoid conflict and protect each other from hurt. The untested truths spun by different interests continue to churn and accumulate in the sandbox of political correctness and value systems. Everyone withdraws into their own small gated community afraid of a larger forum. They stay inside their little ponds, leaking whatever truth suits them into the growing cesspool of society at large. The different cardinal truths neither clash nor mesh. No one is invalidated, but nobody is right. Not even natural selection can take place here. The world is being engulfed in truth. And this is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. We're trying to stop that from happening. It's our responsibility as rulers. Just as in genetics, unnecessary information and memory must be filtered out to stimulate the evolution of the species. And you think you're qualified to decide what's necessary and not? Absolutely. Who else could wade through the sea of garbage you people produce, retrieve valuable truths, and even interpret their meaning for later generations? That's what it means to create context. I'll decide for myself what to believe and what to pass on. But is that even your own idea? Or something Snake told you? That's the proof of your incompetence right there. You lack the qualifications to exercise free will. That's not true. I have the right. Does something like a self exist inside of you? That which you call self serves as nothing more than a mask to cover your own being. In this era of ready-made truths, self is just something used to preserve those positive emotions that you occasionally feel. Another possibility is that self is a concept you conveniently borrowed under the logic that would endow you with some sense of strength. That's crap! Is it? Would you prefer that someone else tell you? All right, then. Explain it to him. Jack, you're simply the best, and you got there all by yourself. Oh, what happened? Do you feel lost? Why not try a bit of soul-searching? Don't think you'll find anything, though. Ironic that although self is something that you yourself fashion, every time something goes wrong, 
you turn around and place the blame on something else. It's not my fault. It's not your fault. In denial, you simply resort to looking for another, more convenient truth in order to make yourself feel better. Leaving behind in an instant the so-called truth you once embraced. Should someone like that be able to decide what is truth? Should someone like you even have the right to decide? You've done nothing but abuse your freedom. You don't deserve to be free. We're not the ones smothering the world. You are. The individual is supposed to be weak, but far from powerless. A single person has the potential to ruin the world. And the age of digitized communication has given even more power to the individual. Too much power for an immature species. Building a legacy involves figuring out what is wanted and what needs to be done for that goal. All this you used to struggle with. Now, we think for you. We are your guardians, after all. You want to control human thought? Human behavior? Of course. Anything can be quantified nowadays. That's what this exercise was designed to prove. You fell in love with me just as you were meant to, after all. Isn't that right, Jack? Ocelot was not told the whole truth, to say the least. We rule an entire nation. Of what interest would a single soldier, no matter how able, be to us? The S3 plan does not stand for solid snake simulation. What it does stand for is selection for societal sanity. The S3 is a system for controlling human will and consciousness. S3 is not you, a soldier trained in the image of Solid Snake. It is a method, a protocol that created a circumstance that made you what you are. So you see, we're the S3, not you. What you experienced was the final test of its effectiveness. That's crazy! You heard what President Johnson said. The Arsenal's GW system is the key to their supremacy. The objective of this exercise was to establish such a method. We used Shadow Moses as a paradigm for the exercise. I wonder if you would have preferred a fantasy setting. <laughs> we chose that backdrop because of its extreme circumstances. It was an optimal test for S3's crisis management capacity. If the mom could trigger, control, and solve this, it would be ready for any contingency. And now, we have our proof. Raiden, there are also reasons behind your selection. Solidus raised plenty of other child soldiers. Do you know why we chose you over them? Hmm. It was because you were the only one who refused to acknowledge the past. All the others remember what they were, and pay for it daily. But you turn your back on everything you don't like. You do whatever you like, see only the things you like, and for yourself alone. Yes, Rose can attest to that. You refused to see me for what I was. I lied to you, but I wanted to be caught. You pretended to be understanding, to be a gentleman. You never made a conscious attempt to reach out to me. The only time you did was when I gave you no choice but to do so. I was just trying not to. What? Trying not to hurt me? Dear, the one you were trying not to hurt was yourself. Avoiding the truth under the guise of kindness is all that you did. It occurred to you to do nothing but look out for yourself. Even if you claim that it was for my sake, that feeling was nowhere to be seen. In the end, everything was for your sake. I was never part of the picture. <laughs> Exactly right. So you see, you're a perfect representative of the masses we need to protect. This is why we chose you. You accepted the fiction we've provided, obeyed our orders, and did everything you were told to. The exercise is a resounding success. Didn't I tell you that GW is still incomplete? But not anymore, thanks to you. Your persona. Experiences, triumphs, and defeats are nothing but byproducts. The real objective was ensuring that we could generate and manipulate them. It's taken a lot of time and money, but it was well worth it considering the results. I think that's enough talk. 
It's time for the final exercise. Raiden, take Solidus down. Think again. I'm through doing what I'm told. Oh, really? Aren't you forgetting something? If you die, my child dies. The termination of vital signals from your nanomachines means the death of Olga's child. Not to mention the death of Rose. She's wired the same way. Rose, does she actually exist? Of course I do, Jack. You have to believe me. Damn! It will be a fight to the death. Solidus at least wants you dead. We will collect the necessary data from this last fight. Then we'll consider the exercise closed. So, Jack the Ripper, will it be Solidus, the Patriot's creation, or you, Solidus's creation? Our beloved monsters, enjoy yourselves.